got a lot of different things coming at you today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a lull right now. F that. You don't got time for that. All right? Let's go. Break it. Break it. Let it cross. Woo! Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Hey, what's happening? Welcome into another edition of Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017, 1320 KLWN. Derek Johnson with Adam Dravetta on KLWN and KLWN.com. We've got KU basketball taking over. Pre-game at 4.30 here on KLWN. Tip-off at 6 o'clock. You can also hear all that action on our sister station, 105.9 KISS. If you're looking for the KU volleyball game, we got to go out to Omaha yesterday. Me and Adam got on the call of that one. It was so much fun. KU upending Oregon in straight sets. So they're moving on to the second round of the NCAA tournament. You can hear the second round game. I'll be on the call of that one against Creighton, trying to get some revenge for 2016, although... None of the players were on the team, and I don't even think any of the assistant coaches were on the team. The only guy who's back is Ray Bouchard, so maybe he's trying to get revenge. Um, but you'll be able to hear the the KU volleyball game against Creighton at 7 o'clock. That'll be on our other sister station, 92.9 The Bull, bull929.com. So got it. KU basketball on KLWN 105.9 KISS. KU volleyball on 92.9 The Bull. Bowl929.com. So KU takes on St. John's. Both these teams come into this game at 5-1 on the season. Ken Palm has this game at 83-74. Now the point spread's a little closer. We'll pick this game as part of our game picks coming up in the 4 o'clock hour after we talk to BMAC at 3.35 or so here on RCST. Um, but the both these offenses have, have really gotten it going so far this season, and both of the defenses have left a little something to be desired, and that's probably the biggest intrigue in this game. St. John's forces a lot of turnovers. That's really the best thing they do defensively. KU is top 20 in the country in turnover rate offensively. They have not been turning the basketball over. That's a great sign of what has occurred so far for KU. And if that continues throughout this season, they are going to be a force to be reckoned with. This is a game where that truly gets tested. Of everything that has happened so far to say, yeah, KU has been a great team at not turning the ball over. Well, let's see what happens when they play a team that is good at forcing turnovers. St. John's is top 20 in the country in forcing turnovers. So that goes directly in line with something KU has been good at, and we're going to find out just how much of a strength it truly is. And if it is a strength against a team like this who does not just force a lot of turnovers but rely on forcing turnovers to be more successful defensively, that's going to be a big problem for the St. John's defense, and KU could legitimately score 90 points in a game like this. Um, but overall, like if you look at like Ken Palm has St. John's, their defense in the 70s for adjusted defensive efficiency. But if you look more in depth at how it's gotten there, it might not be as bad as, as you might think. Teams have shot 36% from three against this St. John's defense. They've shot really well from the outside. We've had this conversation many times over the show. How much is three-point defense luck versus just your opponent's doing well versus something you do. I like to think a lot of it is luck, but I also don't like to think that 
all of it is luck either, right? If you have more length on the perimeter, it's probably going to further impact three-point shooting. Or if you just play good defense, they might be taking a bad three-point shot, which is going to go in less often. But again, the luck side comes into it because you could have a game where you play perfect defense on threes every time and they just make 50%, right? Uh, But I think the process would say over the course of time, contested shots from three are going to have a lower percentage. So I think you know, you have a little bit of both. But the point is, teams have shot well from three. And if part of that is luck, then you look at some other things St. John's does well defensively. If they start to, you know, play teams that don't hit threes, for instance, if KU doesn't hit threes tonight, St. John's does have an avenue to play well defensively. I mentioned they force a lot of turnovers. St. John's also ranks top 35 in the country in two-point defense. So they're limiting easy shots. They're forcing turnovers. That's usually a pretty good recipe for success. And as soon as those three-point shooting goes down, maybe this could actually be a pretty solid defense. One thing that St. John's does give up, though, a ton of offensive rebounds. And when you're just thinking about the KU roster, you think of, you know, like a six foot six Christian Brown at the four, and you think of David McCormick at the five, who hasn't been a, a great rebounder by any means. You don't think of this KU team as being like a great offensive rebounding team. And they're not a an elite offensive rebounding team. But what would you do if I told you that KU's actually been pretty good this season in offensive rebound rate? They're top sixty in the country, which is a pretty good mark, and and I don't know how much you trust that because of the personnel, and, and maybe some of it's just playing some smaller schools last week, like you have Iona in, in North Texas and, and Dayton, which are teams that aren't going to be as big, right? Um, so I don't know how much that translates into a game like this, but it's, it's something I'm keeping an eye on, and like what happens if at the end of the day Christian Brown has eight rebounds or something and, and Jalen Wilson, who's been a really good rebounder, comes in there and maybe this is a big game for him because he has an opportunity to get a bunch of offensive rebounds and some putbacks and, and some hustle plays for KU. That's where they can exploit it. But the way that I look at this, if KU's offense is successful, they continue to not turn the ball over. If it's not as successful, they probably had a bad turnover game against a team that does force you into turnovers. Now, the defensive side of the ball has its challenges for KU as well. St. John's is fourth in the country in two-point percentage. So uh, the St. John's team is very much to the Bill self-liking right now. They get easy baskets. They don't give up easy baskets. They're good at two-point shooting offense, two-point shooting defense. So fourth in the country in two-point percentage. We talked about how this defense struggled last week. KU is 225th in two-point shooting defense. You gave up over 60% from two to date, and you gave up over 60% from two to North Texas. They've had their issues there. And now you're playing as good of an offense as you played all season at getting two-point shots. That has to scare you a lot in this game that St. John's could put up just this huge offensive outburst. And we heard all week in the press conferences, player audio, coach self-audio, defense was the focus this week for KU. And we heard about the practice drill the players were running where if you allowed your guy to beat you off the dribble and get into the paint, you had to run. Well, we'll see how much, because at the end of the day, it's still only been, you know, a couple practices. How much that changes things? Is it more of a mentality thing? Is it more of an effort thing? Is it just a a correctable thing that can be turned around this quickly? I would imagine this is going to be a very spirited effort. From the KU defense, though, because of that. 
But given that they've struggled so much there, that has to send off kind of a an alarm in your head to say, uh-oh, this could be problematic. St. John's is turnover prone, so if you're looking for something that would flip to that instead of something that would be worrisome, something that could be really good for KU, St. John's has had a lot of turnovers this year, high turnover rates, and it's not that KU is like a lead at forcing turnovers, but what KU has been a lead at, this is something Jesse Newell talked about the other day on the show, they have been elite at scoring in transition. Which is so funny because last year, it it felt like a slog to try to score in transition. Uh, guys would miss passes to each other in two-on-ones, three-on-ones. Guys wouldn't be able to throw down the alley-oop in the two-on-one. Uh, they'd get fouled and then miss both free throws on a transition. Like Last year's team was, for whatever reason, just not good in transition. This year's team so far has been absolutely deadly in transition. So for St. John's team that you know gives up a good amount of turnovers... I think KU could feast in that regard, and that both helps the defense and the offense. But St. John's has two absolute dudes in this game. Julian Champagny, who could have gone to the NBA. I think his brother's off in the NBA. Um, and then Posh Alexander. I've seen some people say, like, you could make the argument that these two guys are the very two best players in the Big East. Um, I, I don't think a lot of people will make that conversation, but at the very least... It's probably two of the five best, at the very least, two of the ten best players in that conference. That makes them very dangerous. Forcing turnovers makes them very dangerous. Shooting good from two and preventing easy baskets makes them very dangerous. And part of me wonders if everything I said from the preparation standpoint of you know, valuing so much defensively and having to you know, exert so much effort into working on the defense, and now you go on a long uh, airplane trip to New York, you're changing time zones, it's kind of a weird time for a game at 6 p.m. on a Friday, you don't get that extra day into Saturday after some hard practices. Like, I wonder if all that combined with the fact that St. John's does prevent easy twos and does force turnovers, if this is going to be kind of a slog for the KU offense in this game. Because if you look at Ken Palm again, it's projecting 83-74. That's a high-scoring game. You look at the over-under in the game, it's 157, which is right on that number from Ken Palm. It's projected to be a high-scoring game. I kind of think that this could be more of a slog because of that, and KU's going to put so much emphasis on the defensive side of the ball because of what they've done this week. But it is scary because this is very much a losable game, going on the road, playing at a weird time, of a hard week of practice. You're against a good team that I think is going to finish higher than their rankings right now. Right now, they would be probably like an NIT-level team, you know, solid team that you're playing on the road, middle-tier team in your conference that would scare you a little bit in conference play. I think they might end up being like an NCAA tournament low-end team or bubble team or something. And it's dangerous playing one of those teams on the road when you're coming off of this for KU. So, a tough spot for the Jayhawks. Again, that one at 6 o'clock. Pre-game starts at 4.30. You're on KLWN, 105.9 KISS. We'll have KU Volleyball over on 92.9 The Bull and Bull929.com. I'm Derek Johnson with Adam Dravetta. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017, 1320 KLWN. We'll talk some Chiefs coming up next. Brandon McAnderson joins us at 3.35 to talk KU football. And then we'll go through our game picks, college football, NFL, and the KU game coming up at the top of the 4 o'clock hour. This is RCST. Would you like to get involved in sponsoring Rock Chalk Sports Talk or the Best of RCST podcast? How about getting involved in some KU action or local high school sports? 
You can reach out to us, djohnson at gpmnow.com. That's djohnson at gpmnow.com, and we'll see what we can do to help out your business and get involved here in local sports. Welcome back. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017, 1320 KLWN, out early at 4.30 for KU coverage with Adam Dravetta, Derek Johnson. Brandon McAnderson joins us in about 15 minutes from right now, talking some KU football, going over some game picks with BMAC. We'll have our game picks at the top of the 4 o'clock hour. Um, Chiefs take on the Broncos on Sunday Night Football on Sunday. I have uh, a ticket to the game. Is it wrong of me? That I like, I feel so bad saying this. I like don't want to go. We talked. We had it, such a busy week. And- yeah. And to be clear, what he's saying is he's he's not a he, he's not like oh I don't like the Chiefs anymore. We talked about this last night um, on the way back from Omaha. It, it's just it, it unless you go like it's a really fun thing to go to a Chiefs game, but if you've had a busy weekend, especially on a Sunday, because you don't have a recovery day. Um, and so, it, I don't know, it's a big commitment going to a Chiefs game. We went years and years ago, uh, the Chiefs, when they, you know, uh, well, pre-Mahomes, pre um, my buddy and I got season tickets where you can get the cheapest season tickets uh, were $250, and it was a great deal, and we got them. It just so happened it was the year that the Chiefs, um, with Matt Castle, sort of the, the schedule broke in their favor. They won 10 games, and they made the playoffs. It was a really exciting year. But really, man, by, you know, you got that that year started on Monday Night Football, really exciting. A couple weeks later, we go back. All right, we win again. It's Chiefs are 3-0. and It's awesome. And then by, like, mid-November, you're like, oh, my gosh, we got to do this again. And it's fun, but it's, you know, it takes energy, and it's like a six- or seven-hour commitment out of your day. So maybe we're just getting old. Yeah, I, I don't know if that's what it is. But it's just, to be yeah. fair, that was just me complaining. Derek, you have more to do, so you, well, it's, you have stuff to do this week. But no, no, I mean, you're, you're right in line with what I'm talking about. It's just like, like I feel bad saying that. Like, clearly, you know, there's a lot of people who would like, I've never been to a Chiefs game before, and I would love so much to go to a Chiefs fan. And the fact that you're saying this is just disgraceful. And so I, I get it. Like, I get it. I just, you know, today will be my second day going on a, you know, six-hour drive to and back from Omaha, three hours each way. Um, I've got basketball games to call baker university tomorrow it's just been busy week in general here on rcst and doing other stuff around the station i mean and the thing you learn as you get older those are all really fun mm-hmm. events and you're excited about those 100 oh, percent. but the the, the 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 older you get the more you realize even the fun events take a little bit out of you yeah and, and it's just you, you'd like a day to just kick back right and it's it's not as simple as just like hey i'm gonna drive to omaha call the game come back i mean there's prep work involved here i i got home last night at i don't know 9.45, 10 o'clock after we got back from the KU Creighton game, and then I'm up from 10 till 12.30 doing, you know, prep for the KU Creighton game. So it's just, I don't know. I I, know I had world, a bunch of YouTube ti- videos to well, check up. Well, yeah, I, world's tiniest violin now, and I, I'm not asking for anybody to feel sorry for me. You shouldn't. There's people who have it way worse than I do. Yeah, we have I awesome just jobs. getting but- to the point that, like, I just don't want to go to this Chiefs-Broncos game. And maybe part of it, too, is about the opponent. The Chiefs have beat the Broncos 11 straight times. It's not like this is a game where, you know, oh, it's Patrick Mahomes versus Aaron Rodgers or it's yeah. Patrick Mahomes versus Tom Brady. It's like, I know the Broncos are playing well. They just beat the Chargers. I know this is an important game for the division, but I just I can't get up for it. I, I You know, there's something about when, when you're exhausted and you're going to a Chiefs, especially a nighttime Chiefs game, mm-hmm. uh, there's something about even if, you know, the Chiefs are up, 
you know, let's just say they're firing on all cylinders and they're up like 41 to 7. There's still going to be a bit of you that's thinking, oh, I still got to get out of the parking lot and drive home. <laughs> well, that's the other thing. If this was a noon game or an afternoon game, yeah, I don't like think I'd be having this like issue. The, Cowboys. the fact that it's a night game, I, I've started to like, just, and this is what you were saying earlier, like we're just getting old. Uh, this is me despising night games now going to night games night games on tv when you're at home is fine because you get done with the game and then whatever you know you're you're at home and it's still 10 o'clock you can watch a movie or tv show or just go to bed or whatever um with this it's you know 10 30 11 o'clock by the time you walk out of the stadium get to your car it's 11 30 by the time you get out of the arrowhead parking lot it's depending where you park and, and what situation you're in it could be midnight it could be 1 a.m we went back uh when the Washington football team had their old name mm-hmm. we watched Washington play Kansas City on Monday night football and if I'm doing my math right we were stuck in the post in the parking lot post game for eight years yes no it was it was incredible so that all plays into it so again I, I don't want to spend too much time on, on that just me being but a crappy I, no, fan, I, I get guess, it but. you know you've got again even if it's like a fun thing like you've got a you know, an event Friday night, hanging out with your friends, and then you've got another friend's wedding on Saturday night. Those are all fun, exciting events, but they mm-hmm. also take a bit out of you. But again, nobody's feeling bad for us, and um, in fact, people probably turned off their dials. So let's actually <laughs> okay. get to talking about the game itself. So how about now. this? Um, the Chiefs' next three weeks are all against divisional opponents. They get Denver, then they get um, the Raiders in L.A. The L.A. game is on Thursday night, and it's going to be in Los Angeles. I hate that, man. I've said all year, road teams on Thursday night. I hate it, and I hate that the Chargers have already won. But in, in, in Arrowhead, that is. This does present quite the opportunity. Yes. Because the Chiefs are now a game up in the division. Everybody else in the division is 6-5. and five. The Chiefs are 7-4. and four. So with those three divisional opponents, and the Chiefs have owned the AFC West under Andy Reid, if the Chiefs were to win all three of those games, again, two of them are at home against Denver and Las Vegas. Clearly, you're going to be favored. Obviously, you're favored by almost 10 against Denver. I'd imagine it'll be around the same against the Raiders. I bet you the, the Chargers game ends up like Chiefs minus three or something like that. You're going to be favored in all those games. If you win all three of them, you're 10-4 and four at that point, and that would also guarantee, because everybody else in the division has five losses right now, you would be giving all of them a sixth loss to the season. You would... Basically, at that point, you'd be 4-1 and one in the division. I mean, it wouldn't technically be clinched unless there were more losses elsewhere, which could happen. You would basically all but wrap up the division if you win these next three games. Yeah, and, and I think even even if you don't do that, you would, be, you would be gaining some very important divisional wins and very important AFC wins, which mm-hmm. the Chiefs also don't have. Um, you know, they've, they've done so well against, um, have they lost to the NFC East yet? No, I think they went undefeated. They they yeah, they got through all four. Yeah, yeah. So they, they yeah, they, that's right. They played all of them. Um, so you know, so they they went their their NFC opponents are done. Um, and they they've struggled against somewhat struggled. They've they've turned it on of late. But um, point being, they uh they have kind of a, a chance here to to really to kind of uh what's the word I'm looking for atone for what happened earlier in the season, particularly against the Chargers. If you can come out of this, I mean, think about where we were at three and four with the only divisional game the Chiefs had played was a loss at home. Uh, if you can come out of this and you're looking, not only are you no longer three and four, you're then sitting at ten and four. Not only are you oh, you know, you're no longer zero oh and one in the division. You're now four and one in the division. Mm-hmm. Um, that would be a really a really good opportunity, and and that would include um, a sweep of the Raiders if because you'd already beaten the Raiders once. 
So yeah, this would you know this would be huge. This is a this this begins a really really important run, um, especially when you consider later in the year you're going to play some cold games. You've still got to go to Cincinnati. You've still got to go to Pittsburgh. Um, I know the Chargers game. Like I said, I really hate being the road ta- road team on a Thursday night, and I stand by that. But I think there's something to be said about I, I'd rather be playing. You know, if you've got to have a road game in December, it's better to have it indoors in L.A. Mm-hmm. You know, that'll be, I think, a better environment than whatever Cincinnati's going to bring. Isn't that crazy, though, the fact that going into those last three games, you could basically, like, from where we started, from from where we were with the Chiefs of, you know, panic and peril, and now you are at a point where you can see the light at the end of the tunnel, where you can literally have three games left in the regular season and basically have the division wrapped up at that point. I kept trying to remind myself, and we're not out of the woods yet, but you're absolutely right. And I kept trying to tell myself when, when the Chiefs were sitting at 3-4, and four, I thought, well, they had Alex Smith and they were 1-5, and five, and they won 10 straight and then and then won in 11th in the playoffs to break their playoff win drought. So it, it's there's precedent, not just with Andy Reid in general, but precedent with Andy Reid in Kansas City to make these sorts of turnarounds. Um, you kind of felt... Um, was it Wash? It was it was the second half against Washington? Yeah, you kind of felt, hey, maybe they've turned turned a corner here. Then they go into to Nashville the very next week, and and just they they look like, um, like we talk about, they look like one of those teams that Oklahoma pays two hundred thousand dollars to to beat by <laughs> a million. They were just terrible against the Titans, um, in Nashville, and then they've kind of been steady ever since. The defense, especially. The offense has had, you know, a couple fine showings, but their only great showing in terms of what we're used to uh, was the, the the game in Las Vegas. Um, but things, I mean, they're winning now. And the weird things that were going on, uh, we talked, you know, was it just this weird universal correction with Mahomes' turnovers that he threw, you know, a lot of balls that were maybe 50-50 wound up all getting intercepted. Uh, all the fumbles that seem to be going the other the, the Chiefs way now it seems like if the Chiefs do commit a fumble they're the ones jumping on it so it seems like the the 50 50 situations are starting to go a little more the Chiefs way and I think that happens over the course of really we talk about sample size in the MLB because there are 162 games but I think there's enough of a sample size in the NFL that the 50 50 luck things tend to even out over the course of a season. Um, and and you, you can't really talk about luck. You can talk about luck in any given game, but over the course of a season, I think bounces even out. I think 50-50 balls even out, um, and I think right now what you're seeing is kind of a big correction that a lot of the 50-50 things that went, the chief, went against the Chiefs early in the season are now coming their, coming their direction, and the result of that evening out of the Chiefs sitting at 7-4. and four. He's Adam Ravetta. I'm Derek Johnson. That Chiefs game, Sunday Night Football. Will I be there? We will find out. This is Rock Chuck Sports Talk. You know who is here? Brandon McAnderson. He joins us on the phone next on RCST. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017, 1320 KLWN. Joined now by Brandon McAnderson, former KU Orange Bowl winning running back member of the Jayhawk Radio Network. The season now coming to a close after the close loss to West Virginia. And, and KU again able to be competitive in another game at the end of this season, losing 34-28 to there. And they did all that without Devin Neal, their star running back. Uh, BMAC, how much different do you think that game would have been if Devin Neal would have been able to play? I think it would have been a 
lot different. I think that uh, West Virginia gave Kansas fits in the red zone, and they were able to do that because their defensive line was so good. So their defensive line was the strength of their team, and it really allowed them to drop people and not bring pressure you know, in that red zone area. Well, one of the ways to run people out of that, one of the ways to get out of that is to run people out of it. And uh, I think Devin would have been able to find creases that, you know, stressed out that the back end of that defense a little bit more uh, just because you could tell Kansas wasn't as confident in their run game, even though Pesci Kickson had some good moments. They weren't quite as confident in what they were doing. You know, they're usually a run first, second, first and second team. In this game, they were more um, – more leaning towards pass. So I think they would have had different play calls and it would have forced West Virginia to do something different as well. I I know that Amori Pesikikson, like you said, he still had some good moments and everything. Um, so I don't want to discount that because I do think he is a valuable piece moving forward. But just based on how this season went, where you had Tory Lachlan have a season-ending injury, Daniel Highshaw, we never saw him from the get-go because of a season-ending injury, Velton Gardner transfers away. Uh, how important is it going to be this offseason to kind of build up some more running back depth? Oh, I think their depth will come back from injury. I think Highshaw is really special. And I think Highshaw is also one of those people that, kind of like Jalen Daniels, to where you know he played behind an offensive line that really struggled. So we don't really even know what he is. But what we do know is that he's a big power, you know, strong, compact back with top-end speed. And I think he would be a great compliment to Devin. I think Devin just, you know, I've said this on this show many times, but his evolution has been amazing and you know, this isn't a slight on Amari as much as, you know, Devin has just been very special. You know, his ability to pick up the game and improve week by week, um, I think he would have made a difference at the end of that TCU game, and I think he would have definitely made a difference in that West Virginia game just as a a guy that was our most reliable offensive weapon and probably, I mean, beyond probably, was, in my opinion, our most talented player was Devin Neal. So I think it was a big hit, and I think it would have made a big difference. I thought that Jalen Daniels was still really solid between the 20s in that game, but then you had the the two big red zone interceptions in that one. So what did you make overall when you put that all together of his performance, and and did he do enough for you to view him as having the edge in that quarterback race headed into the offseason? Oh, no question. I don't think it's much of a race anymore. And it's not just about his skill. Um, I think he just gives you more options. we talked to a West Virginia radio guy before the game, and they had an analytics guy that said that uh, Jalen Daniels had the quickest release of any quarterback they charted this season, mm-hmm. anybody that they faced. So that allows them to get the ball out wide and kind of expand the field. I think that was the biggest difference between Bean and Daniels. Bean, I think, used his speed to get to the edge, and he had that big playability with his feet, and then he also had that big playability with his arm. He hit a lot of deep balls throws a beautiful deep ball, had good chemistry with Trevor Wilson, you know, even hit uh, Kwame Laster on a couple of deep ones. So that was Bean's strength. I think what you get with Jalen is you get more field distribution. I think he just requires the defense to cover more things. You know, they start the game against West Virginia, whipping those passes up to Kwame. Kwame's able to get them and make moves before the tackle even gets there. And that's because of that quick release and that arm power. He also gives you that three-step ability to throw outside the numbers, you know, to guys like Lawrence Arnold. Um, Casey had a, you know, 12, 15-yard catch uh, in the flats kind of the same way. And then also the middle of the field when um, 
when Trevor Cardell was healthy, you saw that. You saw that big shot over the middle to Jared Casey late in the game. That was just a frozen rope. You know, a play that most people just can't. That, that was a, th- a good example of a throw that looks normal because of what you see on Sundays. Not normal. Not normal to be able to throw the ball, you know, 45 yards on a rope and beat the safety to a spot uh, and get it to where only Jared, Jared Casey can get it. So I don't think this is a quarterback break. Um, even if you take away the interceptions, I thought that. One of the interceptions was because he was tired. I mean, he just was running all over the place. He ended up throwing into coverage. I think he was just fatigued. Um, the other one, you know, you, 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 you'd love to have that one back. But I think overall he's done more than enough to be the starter going into next year. When you think about this senior class, because that was senior day, that was the last game of the season, obviously – uh, not a ton of wins and losses are going to be under their belt at the end of the day. But when you think about some of those seniors, what are you most going to remember from some of the individual players and what they kind of did for this program this season? Well, when I think of the seniors, I think about the two the two bookends. Uh, one, Kwame Lasseter, who since I've been watching Kansas football is the most improved player I've ever seen put on the uniform. You know, this guy was a little used walk-on uh, punt returner to a little-used slot receiver, to a solid third receiver, to a true number one um, over the course of his career, a guy that just ate up man coverage, a guy that always had a positive attitude, you know, a motivator, a guy that that pushed people, a guy that blocked his tail off. Um, I think his legacy will last, and I think it'll continue with his little brother, um, who's a nice young player in the defensive back, uh, defensive back still. So I think Kwame's just the most improved player I've ever seen here. Uh, Kyron, I think, is just someone that did everything that was asked of him to the best of his ability. And then when he got comfortable, you could really see how special he could be. You know, he bounced between linebacker and defensive end because of his size. He's more of a tweener. And depending on what defense he was playing in, and unfortunately for Kyron, it was like four different defenses you know, because we had so much turnover. Uh, but he always responded well. He always competed hard. And then finally, when he got a chance to really settle in and play defensive end, he was a dominant player. I'm going to miss his sideline-to-sideline speed. I think my favorite Kyron play is just, you know, that you run zone read at him, and he, you know, he gives the read that the quarterback should pull it, then he runs the quarterback down. You know, he did it like 10 times this year. So that's kind of the the marquee Kyron Johnson play other than the strip sack. But, you know, he's someone that those two people are selfless. They did everything that was asked of them. They improved every day, and they had great attitudes. So I think they are building block players, and I think, this freshman class and, you know, guys that registered this year, you know, will look back in four years when they're having a ton of success and they'll think about the contributions that those two guys made. We're talking with Brandon McAnderson here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. KU landed seven players to some form of all Big 12 honors yesterday. Two of them graduate in guys you mentioned, Kyron Johnson, Kwame Lasseter. Um, Earl Bostic, I think, can graduate or decide to use what was the extra COVID year, I believe. So that leaves you with either four or five of those players back, assuming they were to all come back. If I were to tell you that one of those four or five ended up making a jump from a second team or honorable mention pick to being a first team all Big 12 guy next season between Devin Neal, Kenny Logan, Earl Bostic Jr., if he's back, Rich Miller, Mike Nowitzki, which of those guys do you think would be more most likely to make that jump? Man, these are great candidates. If you look at and watch KU play on offense, every game they played well, Earl Bostic played well. 
not a coincidence. So he obviously has big time upside. Devin Neal, I mean, honestly, who knows? This guy could be the best back in the country for all we know. I mean, I thought he was really raw in high school, and he turned into a polished product by the middle of his first season. So he's a he's a good candidate as well. Uh, but I'm going to go with Rich Miller, and I'm going to go with Rich because I thought that he was the first. His personality, his relentlessness, I thought was the first thing was the first shoe to drop. I mean, I mean, maybe mixing my metaphors here, but um, I thought he was the first building block of what that defense has a chance to become in terms of playing wherever they ask him to play, playing with max effort playing with a great amount of physicality. I thought he was just a huge impact. And if you watch early in the season, he plays three or four different positions because, you know, if you're coming in with this staff, you've only been here for a month, they knew what Rich Miller was. They didn't know what a lot of the other people were. So they kind of used Rich as their utility guy. But once they settled in on him as a Mike linebacker, um, he was dominant. He had a great game against OU. Um, he had great games throughout the season, um, especially down the stretch. TCU is very physical. Texas, he was everywhere running people down. Um, the guy just has something special. So he's someone I'm really looking forward to watching moving forward. But any of those candidates would be great. Kenny Logan's a guy. Talk about improvement. That's a guy that got better every single week in the season. And by the end of the season, was just a dominant player. So he's an obvious choice, but I would go with Rich Miller. Yeah, and with Kenny Logan, he also received a vote for Big 12 Defensive Player of the Year, which shows you his impact there. Now, I I did think this was kind of, I don't know, funny might not be the right term, but I don't know if you saw this. He took you social media yesterday to announce that like, he's committed to the process and, and building this thing with KU and staying with KU. So kind of a, a two-part question here. One, how important is that, just to have him committed and, and a leader on your team? And two... How odd is it nowadays in college football that instead of players announcing like, hey, I'm going to the draft or not, or like, this is the school I'm committing to, we've now progressed to a point where players have to uh, take to social media to announce if they're going to opt to use the transfer portal or not. So I I don't blame Kenny for that. That, that Oh, I, I don't either. I just think it's kind of yeah. a, a funny situation. It is. I think our fan base is weird about that. I think we've just been scorned. And we're very cognizant of, you know, wanting to dream about the future and put our expectations on next season, but not really knowing who's coming back. I know after that game, two or three of the people I follow on Twitter had already tweeted, <laughs> Kenny Logan's going to leave, isn't he? <laughs> so I think it's just kind of our fan base is just generally scorned. And I think they, he was a guy that we really didn't want to lose. And to your first part of the question, it's, it's important. Because this is a thing where what's happened to Kansas in the past is building. It's been complicated to build good on good. Sometimes that's good performances. Sometimes that's good players. So you lose a guy like Marcus Harris, and that guy starts for Auburn. You know, you lose a guy like uh, Karan Prunty, and he would have started for South Carolina until he left. You lose a guy like, you know, uh, DT. Uh, Dejon Terry, he's in the 2 deep at Tennessee. So you know those players are important. Now, as a Kansas fan, you're rooting to keep them, but you lose them, and those aren't building blocks anymore. So you have to move on to the next thing. I think that's what it is when you have someone like Kenny. Because if you look across this defense, you're looking for sure things as you progress into the next season. Kenny Logan is as sure as it gets. He's a sure thing. So you get him back, that, that's a position you just don't have to worry about next season. Same can be said for Rich Miller. You know, looking up front, senior night was interesting for another reason because there was a plenty of people that could have been considered seniors that weren't. So if you move up to the front defensive line, guys like Caleb Sampson, 
Sounds like he'll be back. He didn't go through senior night. He's going to be an important player. Uh, Sam Bird didn't go through senior night. He's going to be an important player. So now you got two more guys locked in that you know are going to be good players. And that's really what Kansas is trying to do. They're trying to find players to fill spots and then trying to open up that competition to get those back because that's what this is. You're trying to build good on good consistently and every day. And I think getting guys back like Kenny um, solidifies you know, the strength of the defense, which is a guy that has range, a guy that can tackle in the box, and a guy that can make plays happen. I'm talking with Brandon McAnderson here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. As you look at the defense overall, obviously that was a struggle this season for KU, and I think you can probably take some positives at the end of the year. You you force all those turnovers against Texas, TCU, and West Virginia, even though you still give up a ton of rushing yards, and, and that, I'm, I'm sure, will be a big focus. You give up you know, about 550 rushing yards the last two games. That can't happen, but at least points-wise, it was your two best outputs of the year, so trending in the right direction there. Uh, what needs to happen in the offseason for the defense to improve substantially, and how plausible do you think that is for them to be a much better unit next season? I think it's very plausible. I think they'll be – so the defensive line was a group that I think everyone liked, but it was hard to tell what they were, and I think that was because of, we struggled so much at the linebacker level. You know, we couldn't, you know, we were getting gashed by everyone, but even though we thought that the players were good. So that's guys like Ronald McGee, you know, Zion DeBose, Hayden Hatcher, sounds like he'll be back, you know, Sam Bird, Caleb Sampson, uh, you know, guys all across that front that are going to be strong players, they'll all be back. That's good. Linebackers solidified with two guys that I think really figured it out. You know, Gavin Potter's a guy that finally figured it out at the end, and Rich Miller's a guy that figured it out. So now you have some foundational pieces that can help you. What I liked about the end of the season was the element that's been missing from Kansas for a full decade is physical football. I thought that TCU was the most physical game they've played in a decade, and that continued into West Virginia. Just because guys are getting up and like, oh, I, I got hit. You know, like this was a this was a physical game. This wasn't one of these games where you can come in, you know, win or lose, and you feel pretty good afterwards. That TCU game, everybody needed an iron fast. So I thought that was a big, big step. Even though, like you said, they gave up a ton of yards, they missed a lot of tackles. I thought the physicality was finally just there. You know, finally more than something that everyone was talking about. You know, you talk in the press conferences, coaches and players every week are talking about physicality. We were just we just weren't seeing it. That TCU game was like, oh, here it is. Like this is what this is what we wanted to see. It carried on to West Virginia. So that is the thing I am most excited about is that they're comfortable enough to let loose and be physical in a way that we haven't been here for a long time. Secondly, they'll just have more time in the system. You know, a full off season, full system to evaluate. There's probably things Coach Borland wants to do that he wasn't able to do, uh, just given the time restraints and trying to figure out the roster. So they'll be more multiple and the players will be better uh, acquainted with the defense, and then that physical nature can kind of show itself from beginning to end. Overall, your thoughts on year one of the Lance Leipold era and where things are headed? A 12 out of 10. I mean, I could not have imagined that uh, we would have made this kind of progress in season. I was hopeful that – I know for years you've had me on the show, and you've said – and I've told you many times, being competitive is the first step. And, and that just needs to happen. There were moments in the first part. The first half of the season was Kansas had come out and had a good half of football. You know, down 14-7 to Baylor. Uh, had a lead at Duke. Uh, was competitive at Coastal. Um, you know, obviously, you know, dominated the half against OU. So there were moments where you're like, oh, this team might be, you know, on to something. 
But the the finishes of those games were very disappointing and kind of robbed us of that optimism. Uh, OU, you saw the full flash of two halves of football. But after that, you know, that went away as well. But once they were able to kind of settle in and Jalen was able to really do his thing, I thought K-State was really the low point for the team just because I think they thought they could compete and win that game and through injuries and, and poor play and turnovers, they just weren't able to get that done. But post that game, you could see all those things start to come together. So for me, being competitive in this year, given these circumstances, I thought was huge. The other part that was huge was the intangible part. This team is very united. Um, Coach Leipold and staff are not one of these staffs that are trying to sell. They are telling the media the same thing they're telling the players. The players are telling the media the same thing they hear from the coach. There's a certain continuity that we haven't had that I really love. So between the competitiveness, the physicality, and the continuity in just a short, short period of time, I mean, relative to their competitors, they're two or three months behind. So that says a lot about the staff and the players and the work that they're willing to put in. So I, I am through the roof with excitement. Um, I think about it every day like usual, except I'm not as uh, grim, <laughs> not, as, not, you know, not as blue thinking about it. Now I'm excited about it, and I can't wait to see what they have next. All right, we're talking with Brandon McAnderson. Before we let you go, some quick game picks. Championship week in college football. Number 10, Oregon versus number 17, Utah. Utes are giving up two and a half. Utah just seems tougher. I know Oregon's more talented, but I'm going to go with Utah. Number 9, Baylor against number 5, Oklahoma State. The Cowboys are giving up five and a half. I haven't seen if that quarterback was going to play Bohannon, but uh, if he doesn't, I like Oklahoma State. I like Oklahoma State anyway. Number one, Georgia has given up six and a half points. They're taking on number three, Alabama. Oh, this is a weird one. You know, everybody's considering Alabama to be bad just because they're not as dominant, but obviously they're still very good. Um, and Georgia's been dominant too. I'm going to go with Georgia just because I want to see someone there. Number 21, Houston versus number four, Cincinnati. Uh, the Bearcats are giving up ten and a half. I like Houston, uh, but I still think Cincinnati has a lot to play for. Right. Number two, Michigan, minus 11 versus number 13, Iowa. I've always been a huge Michigan fan, so hopefully they get over the hump and make it to the Final Four as well. Okay, on to the NFL. Um, Tampa Bay has given up 11 points playing at Atlanta. Mm, Tampa Bay's been weird, but Atlanta's been bad. But I'll say Tampa won't cover. Chargers are playing on the road against the Bengals. Cincinnati has given up three. Strong defense for Cincinnati. I like Cincinnati. Baltimore giving up four and a half playing at the Pittsburgh Steelers. Mm. I know that's going to be a physical game. I'll go with Baltimore. Denver at Kansas City on Sunday Night Football. The Chiefs are giving up nine and a half. Nine and a half. Oh, these Chiefs. I'm going to say they're not going to cover. I think they'll win, but maybe not cover. New England at Buffalo. Bills giving up two and a half. I like New England. All right, that is Game Picks with BMAC. BMAC, thank you so much for the time. As always, man, really enjoyed hearing you on the call all season long and looking forward to next season. All right, sir. Thanks for having me. All right, that was Brandon McAnderson joining us here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. This is FM 1017, 1320 KLWN, KLWN KLWN.com. One hour down, half to go. Would you like to get involved in sponsoring Rock Chalk Sports Talk or the best of RCST podcast? How about getting involved in some KU action or local high school sports? You can reach out to us, djohnson at gpmnow.com. That's djohnson at gpmnow.com, and we'll see what we can do to help out your business and get involved 
here in local sports. Welcome back in. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk, top of the 4 o'clock hour here on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Um, we're going to have Brian Haney on typically on Fridays, but today's short show, he'll be on the call here in about an hour and a half. So You'll I think get we to might, hear from him anyway. Yeah, and Just I think we might talk us. with him on Monday. So we'll get to have a recap with, with Brian. Um, we do have to get to our game picks, though. Before I head out and get over to the KU volleyball game against Creighton, we do not have a line on that game. And also, even if we did, isn't that the old, like, you can't yeah, pick you, the you game don't, if you you're calling pick, it? You don't pick a game if you're calling it. You know better. Is that just, like, taboo, or is that, like, actually, like, legal? I don't know. I have no idea. I just know it's, it's at the very least, we it's, it's taboo. Okay. And we don't want to do anything taboo here. I'm already not wearing pants. <laughs> you so. weren't supposed to say that. That's too far behind the scenes. Oh, okay. um, sorry, Adam. You are fifty-four and thirty-four overall in game picks. You I had a uh, good week in the NFL. Didn't yes, I? you did. You were five and zero in the NFL college football. I didn't there do was good in college football. Well, you went two, two and one. Oh, okay. so, I, well, that I honestly thought there was part of me that thought I only got one. So, well, the Oklahoma Oklahoma State game ended 37-33, and it was a four-point line, so that ended up oh, okay. being a push. Okay. You are twenty-seven and seventeen in college football, though. I am sixty-five and fifty-eight overall. I went one and three last week in college football. Thirty and thirty-four on the year now in college football. This is championship week. I even had to leave off a couple conference championships. There, ACC matchup, top twenty matchup, didn't even make the cut. Uh, number ten, Oregon versus number seventeen, Utah. That is tonight. Oh, Utah's minus two and a half. I should probably give you the line. Is that? Uh, I can't remember how the Pac-12 does it. Does somebody host or is it neutral? It used to be somebody host. Uh, it's in Las Vegas this year. Utah's laying two, two and a half. And they already beat Oregon once this crushed year, right? Them. They crushed them. Um, if, it, if this were basketball, I might go the other direction uh, because it is hard to beat a good team twice in a year. But I'll, I'll lay the points. Give me the Utes laying the points. And for the record, I think Oklahoma and Notre Dame need to, even though Western coaches don't uh, get much love, I think they really need to. Is it Whittingham? Yeah. they. I think that some of these, these jobs that are coming open need to think about calling Whittingham. Well, who knows? Maybe Oregon will be open. I saw some uh, rumors about maybe Mario Cristobal, Miami. Oh, that wait, could Notre, be a thing. Notre Dame's not open, is it? They hired. No, I Notre swear they, they hired their DC already, didn't no, they? No, I was saying Oregon. Yeah, no, I know, but I said Notre oh. Dame, so I misspoke. But either way, I think Whittingham's a great coach. Um, so yeah, give me the Utes minus the points. I'm going to take Utah as well. I, I think that's almost a. It's not like a wife's tale. Like there is some validity to it that it is tough to beat teams twice in any sport, really. Um, but I, I remember saying, and this was NFL, so I, I guess take that with a, a grain of salt because it just doesn't happen that much in college football anymore where you get teams playing twice, I guess more so now with more games. Um, but that the team who won the first game in the NFL wins the second game like 55% of the time or something because usually the team who wins the first game is the better team. Yeah, I think ba- basketball is a little different, especially when you get two really good teams. If things were a little more evenly matched, I might feel differently. But I mean, Utah, they just and it wasn't anything fluky. It wasn't like there were six turnovers mm-hmm. or anything. They just they were and in in a sport that's physical like football, they're just so much more physically dominant. Yeah, and that's a problem. I don't really trust Oregon's quarterback to make up for the lack of you know because Oregon actually is like a pretty physical team for Pac-12 standards. It's just Utah leaps and bounds above them, so. I don't trust the quarterback enough to make up for it. Like, it'd be one thing if they had a great quarterback where you say, okay, well, Utah's more physical, but the quarterback, that's not the case. I'm going to Utah minus two and a half. Number nine, Baylor, is taking on number five, Oklahoma State, in the Big 12 championship game. This is Saturday morning. The Cowboys are giving up five and a half. That's in Dallas, right? 
Yes. Jerry World. Man. Jerry. I'm going to lean Baylor based purely on my worry that, um, although I like, I really like this line um, for Oklahoma State because if it were a touchdown, I'd feel a lot more confident about Baylor. I'm still going to slightly lean Baylor um, simply because I think so much went into Oklahoma State's victory last week. Uh, I do believe in the letdown, especially for college kids. Uh, it's not a road game. It's a neutral site game, but it's still it's that 11 a.m. when you're not at home principle. Um, so give me I, – I, I wouldn't put any money on this, but give me – since I have to pick it, give me a lean toward Baylor. So I'm with you that I wouldn't put any money on it. I, I might on, like, if it was Oklahoma State money line, which you lessen your odds, but I, I feel good that they're going to win the game. It's just – both these teams have really good defenses to where it could very easily end up in like a 17-14 game. Yeah, that means, I mean, six points, or was it five and a half? It's five and a half. So six, six points is, is a much bigger percentage. I yeah. mean, if, if, they, if they only score 36 points or 40 points combined, 6% is a pretty big percentage of the, the total points. I think the over-under is like 50 points, which... Again, like, this is how it's been the past couple years, so it's not, like, that new. But, you know, if you would have said somebody 10 years ago, hey, the SEC is the highest-scoring conference now, and the Big 12 is, like, a defensive conference, people are like, what? Yeah. Um, but I'm going to go with Oklahoma State. I just – I wonder from, like, the motivation standpoint. I am scared that what you said. I'm always worried about, like, the letdown factor, especially when it happens in college football with a bunch of 20, 21, 22-year-olds. Oklahoma State's a really old team, though. They got a bunch of super seniors on that defense. I think that helps them here. I think the fact that, I, I guess this is true with Baylor, too, but Oklahoma State hasn't won the Big 12 title since the new rendition of actually playing in this. They haven't even been to this. So hasn't I, it I been all, this, Has anybody won it besides Oklahoma since they've added this championship game back? I don't I think, think been, so. Since no, they I added it back, I think it's been all sooner. But, but I'm saying, look, Oklahoma State hasn't even been in it. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. And You're so right I think there yes. might be added, like, I, I think you lose the letdown factor when you get there and you go, oh my gosh, we've never it's been a here brand before, new right? Thing, yeah. Um, so I think that helps. And the, the thing for me, like, style points matter in this game for Oklahoma State, right? For for the college football playoff, um, if Oklahoma State goes out there and beats Baylor thirty-eight to seven, and it's, Cincinnati struggles yeah, against Houston, it's gonna be really hard to keep Oklahoma State out of the playoff. So I think from that standpoint, I'm gonna go with the Cowboys. Minus the five and a half. Number one, Georgia is giving up six and a half points, taking on number three, Alabama. Um, I, I'm, I've, I've rode Georgia this year. I'm sticking with Georgia. I do kind of worry. Um, I, I don't know. Maybe the, the Tim Tebow year in 2009 when Florida were the runaway favorites mm -hmm. to win the national title, that might have been the last time Nick Saban was any sort of underdog in a college football game. Um, so he can, he can play. You never. How on earth can Alabama play an under underdog card? Um, I read somewhere that like eighty five percent of the public tickets are on Georgia. Wow. I don't know about the money. The money might be a little more even, which would tell you that the the guys who gamble more are, are leaning toward Alabama. But the the public is really going Georgia. But I think Georgia can win this by a touchdown. And I'm gonna I'm gonna. This is more of a principle. I'm gonna dance with the lady who brung me uh george has been so good all year they're a hundred points better than the next uh, next best scoring defense so um give me the dogs i am worried about how good that georgia defense is the alabama offensive line has not been the typical where you just roll it out and say oh you have three first round picks on there and it's the best offensive line in the country like they've still been good but they're not like 
dominant. I, I don't even know if they're a top 10 unit in college football right now. The Alabama offensive line, which is worrisome against that Georgia defense. Bryce Young has been so good. He has to be Superman in, in this game. If he is, I think they have a shot. It's actually funny you bring this up. The last time that Nick Saban was an underdog, I actually have the answer to that. It was 2015, or maybe it was 2016. Guess who they were playing? Was it Georgia? It was Georgia, and they beat them. Um, so I, I don't know, but it does feel, you mentioned the Tebow year, if you remember. So Alabama lost to Tebow in one of the SEC titles in 09 in, in 08. Or 08. That was for the year the that they title. won the national yeah. title, yeah. And then the very next year, they rematched in the SEC title. And everybody, because in Florida, yes. pillar to post, because Florida in 08, they lost to Ole Miss, and Tebow did his big old speech, and they, they won every game from then on out and won the national title. Going into the following year, from pillar to post, it was Florida was the favorite, and then Alabama crushed. And everybody kind of thought Saban, all right, Saban's getting things going at Alabama, but they still are probably, in, in the public's mind, mm-hmm. uh, they're probably a year away from being title contenders because Urban Meyer and Florida are so good, and it, they crushed Florida. It was like 32-13. And I wonder about the psyche of that where you had for Alabama, basically that previous season ends and all offseason, all season long, their whole goal is beat Florida, right? Their whole goal is just get back to the SC title, beat Florida. And that has to be part of Georgia's MO, And they right? don't have, there's no, they're not Michigan right now. They're not Oklahoma State. They're not coming off. Yeah, they played their rival last week, but the rival's yeah. Georgia Tech, who isn't good. And they have the added bonus of like, like if they lose, they're still in. Yeah. But they can view this as we can beat Alabama and kick them out of the playoff. And, yeah. and vanquish and not, the, and not the Wicked play. Witch of the West, right? Yeah, and not have to think about, well, a couple of years ago, we, we got to the title game and they came back on us in overtime. I, there's in I, yeah I just any any argument about the potential of a letdown is not there for Georgia because they've just rolled through everybody and this has been the game for them this would be the game where if Georgia wins you'd be worried about a letdown if they had a game next week which obviously they don't um yeah I just I really like Georgia I have you made your pick yet no I was gonna say now that I've talked up Georgia all this amount I'm actually gonna go with Alabama <laughs> and it's just it's just a simple it, you're giving Nick Saban and Alabama six and a half points, and, and I feel like people have have dropped off on Alabama so far because they lost one it has time. Has been a little extreme, and because Georgia's been so good. And and here's the thing: Georgia's blown out all these teams. They get credit for that, and clearly, I think they are the number one team in the country. Georgia's not played like a current top fifteen team right now, right? Yeah. And, and so I think Alabama can exploit something there. And again, you're giving six and a half points to Nick Saban. Again, even as down as people are in this Alabama team, they're still top 15 in the country in offensive yards per play, defensive yards allowed per play. This is a very good football team. I'm going to take Alabama and with the 6 and I know we talked about deserving and Oklahoma State and and um, and uh, teams like Cincinnati, and I think we both agree that Cincinnati, if they win, would deserve to get in. But would you argue that they're a better team than Alabama? Even if Alabama mm-hmm. loses to Georgia. Yeah. I, mean, I, I, I mean, it depends I, on the loss, right? If, if Alabama loses by 40, I think yeah, you can yeah, make yeah. that argument. But but I, I still, you know, if Alabama loses, it, no matter what the score, mm-hmm. and Cincinnati wins, I, wa- I, would, I would argue Cincinnati is more deserving of going to the playoff. But just to the point of, of what yes. you're saying, that maybe people are lower on Alabama than they should be, Alabama is still one of the six best teams in the country. Right. Yeah, that's the old debate between best teams and deserving. And deserving and yes, yeah. I would agree. Like, I would take Alabama on a neutral field to Cincinnati. But 
you know, and I that's and that's less about who should right. go to the playoff and more to illustrate. But your I think point. it should be more about deserving than it is best. Personally, I, I agree, but, but I, yeah. I just am using that to. I agree with you, but I'm just mm-hmm. using it more to illustrate your point that people are probably are. more yeah. down on Alabama than they should be. All right, number twenty-one Houston versus number four Cincinnati. Uh, Bearcats are giving up ten and a half. Um, I think Cincinnati. Part of me kind of worries about potential distraction with Luke Fickle. However, that's gone, at least from the Notre Dame standpoint, since, as we just said, Notre Dame has hired their next head coach. Um, I think Cincinnati's angry, man. And I think they're they're I think they're angry. They're still hearing about, you know, they, they may still get jumped even with a win. You want to talk about a need for style points. I think they um, they have had some scary close games lately, which makes me worried they might be losing focus. Um, but I can see this thing being like 38 to 17, 38 to 21, which would clearly cover that 10 and a half. So give me Cincinnati. Houston, I think I've picked all favorites so far. Houston was undefeated about a decade ago with Case Keenum, and they got upset in the championship game. They would have gone to a BCS Bowl by Southern Miss and uh, Larry Fedora. Um, this is their revenge. I think they might beat Cincinnati straight up. I'm definitely taking them with the spread. I, I, I like that notion you're talking about with the motivation part and being angry. I have been spurned too many times thinking Cincinnati would do that. Last year, uh, finale in the conference championship game against Tulsa. It was like 14-point favorites. I was like, oh, Cincinnati's pissed. They're not going to get in the playoff. They're going to make a statement. They won by like five. And then uh, this year, they're on college game day. Oh, they're going to make a statement. They won by like eight. This is the time I'm finally jumping off the board of they're going to make a statement, which means it's going to happen. So yeah, you should feel good about that. Pick. They're in 72. Yeah, nothing. exactly. But uh, I'll go. They're going to recreate there. Georgia Tech versus Cumberland. <laughs> yeah. 222 to nothing. That would have to get you in, right? <laughs> I mean, it would get you. If you want a college football game, if you won your conference title game 222 to nothing. In there's no way age, Oklahoma State can jump. It would not only point. get you into the playoff, it would get you promoted to the NFL. <laughs> <laughs> Number two, Michigan. They would relegate 11. the Lions and put Cincinnati Bearcats in huh? their place. I mean, honestly, you could argue Cincinnati's head coach would be a better head. You know what? I won't go there. Uh, number two, Michigan, minus 11 versus number 13, Iowa. Um, what? That, that's a 7 p.m. game, right? Yeah, it's a night game on Saturday. So I'm going to go. This is going to tell you how much I put into, because I, I told you about my worries about Oklahoma State. Um I love that this game's at 7. I would probably be all over the Hawkeyes if it were an 11 a.m. game. Um, I do worry about the letdown because it's been years. Not only has it been, it's not not only with Oklahoma State. This is Oklahoma State finally getting over the hump after years and years and beating um, uh, Oklahoma, compounded with the fact of if Mike Gundy had never done it. This was Michigan finally get over the hump and beating Ohio State for the first time in forever. And the whole storyline has been that their <laughs> coach wasn't, wasn't able to do it. Mm-hmm. So there's an argument to be made for a letdown. Kirk Ferentz is a really smart, really good coach. Um, am I going to talk myself into Iowa? I, golly. Wow. No, my instinct coming into the day the whole time was going to be picking Michigan, and I'm not going to go away from that. So I'm, I'm not. There's no way I go undefeated this week. because I'm picking all favorites, but um, give me Michigan. This is another game where you got two really good defenses, and and that would make me want to take Iowa with all those points. Iowa's offense is so bad. I mean, they are a legit like bottom thirty or forty offense in entire college football. Um, that means if Michigan even puts up twenty four points, I don't know if Iowa can get to double digits. Yeah, that's a good point. And so it's one of those games where, like, and, and 
people who bet, like you've all been here, when your team is hanging in there in the first half that you bet on, they're getting 10 points and it's 10-7 at halftime. And you're like, all right, we're in a good spot. And then the other team gets, you know, a punt return touchdown or, I don't know, they just they work their way to 20 points. Fumble and, gets a yeah, good field position. And they're up 20-7. to seven. You're like, I just need one score and I have a quarter and a half to get it. And they can't do it because the offense is so bad. And, and nothing is more frustrating than as a better than that. So for that reason alone, I'm going to take Michigan in this one. Uh, my lock of the week, I'm 11-3, hit last week. I'll go with Houston plus 10.5. Uh, on to the NFL. Adam, you were 27-17 and 17 in the NFL, 5-0 and 0 last week. I was 3-2 and 2 last week, 35-24 and 24 in the NFL. First up, Tampa Bay is going on to Atlanta. Can Tom Brady continue to plague the Falcons? The Buccaneers are giving up 11 points. Woof, that is a big line in um, the NFL. I Gronk isn't playing either, is he? They're missing two, I think he's questionable. two targets. Yeah, Antonio Brown's suspended. Um, Atlanta can't score, though. Uh, I guess give me Tampa, but base, I'm basing that on Atlanta not being able to score. It's the exact same theory you just presented with Iowa and Michigan. I, I think if, if Tampa gets to 28, I don't know if, if Atlanta can get to 17. So... Um, yeah, give me give me Tampa um, begrudgingly and, and not sure. So I think the, li- the reason this line is so big is partially because of the fact there is the narrative. It's not a narrative. like it, Well, I guess narratives can be true, and this is one of those true narratives. Tom Brady has plagued the Atlanta Falcons. Obviously, you think about the Super Bowl. You think about coming back to beat them last year. But you know what all those have in common? It's not that the Buccaneers just absolutely murdered or, or Tom Brady just absolutely murdered the Falcons. It's that they had to come back and break the Falcons' heart. So because of that, I think the Falcons might like blow a lead again, but I think they cover the 11 points. So I'll take Atlanta plus 11 there. Chargers are at Cincinnati. The Bengals are giving up three. I Maybe I'm thinking too much with my heart here. Um, but, well, both of these teams are pretty similar in that you've, you've seen moments this year where you're like, wow, and then you've seen moments this year where you're like, ugh. Um, I think that the but the the Chargers are kind of in a uh, phase. I think Herbert is in a moment where you kind of wonder if he's got the right offensive coordinator, the right play caller. Mm-hmm. Um, so give me, I think it, what it's three you said or three and a half. Three. Yeah, I, I think Cincinnati wins by at least a field goal. So I'm gonna take the Chargers. Um, I don't know. I, I feel like both of these teams do better when they're being doubted. Like when the Chargers aren't being talked about as much as when they do well. Now that's starting to be the case. When Cincinnati's being talked about too much, they don't do as well. Now they're being talked about a bunch. So give me the Chargers just for uh, kind of a weird reason. Baltimore minus four and a half. They're at Pittsburgh. Ravens. I think the Steelers are terrible. Yeah, they're really bad. I don't have much more to say than that. Well, uh, they can't score. They can't throw consistently. Although, weirdly enough, they put up like 37 on the Chargers. Their quarterback is a million. Yeah, and what's weird, the Steelers have a great, like, pass rush. They've actually kind of struggled against the run, and okay, welcome Baltimore, like the best running team in the NFL. I'll take the Ravens too. Denver at Kansas City, Chiefs giving up nine and a half. Um, I think the Chiefs win, but that's I. I'd actually feel better about the Chiefs if that was just right at ten or ten and a hook. But um, I think the Chargers keep it close because I still, Broncos. or yeah, uh, them too. I think the Broncos keep it close because I'm still not ready to say the Chiefs, the offense is there. Um, and I think it could be one of those situations where there just aren't enough points scored in this game as a whole um, for anybody to win by double digits. So I think the Chiefs win, but I'll take Chargers in the points. I could see this being the classic Andy Reid game where they get up like 
21-7 midway through the third quarter. And, and then, then it's just like sit on the up. lead. Yeah. yeah, and they end up winning, you know, 24-17. It's like closer than you would have wished it was. But they win the game, but they don't cover the spread. Uh, New England, is that Buffalo on Monday Night Football? The Bills are giving up two and a half. Wow. Um, so they're, they're, that's basically the announcement that they think on a neutral field, New England's better. Um, I don't know. I... I think Mac Jones is just doing enough to not screw everything up, and I think we've seen Bill Belichick do a great job of making great quarterbacks see ghosts. So I guess give me New England. If they're getting points, I think they could win outright. Yeah. Yeah, I'll go New England as well. All right, uh, I do have one college basketball one for the KU game tonight, which we'll switch over to coverage to in a few minutes here. KU is minus 6.5 at St. John's. The over-under is 157. I don't care about the over under but just for the record lock up the under uh KU minus six and a half what would you go with I kind of like now that I'm hearing that I kind of like KU minus the points I was honestly worried there that it was going to be a little too much um public influence on KU and the name brand of KU and it'd be like 12 um I actually kind of now that I'm hearing that's the line I kind of like KU minus those points I have a weird feeling about this game I feel like it's going to be Similar to the KU at Georgetown game, which KU ended up winning. Yeah. Brandon Green had to go off. Went I off. feel like KU is going to need somebody to just have like a really good game off the bench kind of randomly that we don't expect. If that happens, I think they win. If not, I think it is kind of I an could, upset possibility. I could see, yeah, and I could see this game sitting. But I'll take St. John's with the points. Like a, a sluggish game where it, at one point in the, in the first half, it's like 24 to 14 St. John's, and you're going, come on, this again. Mm-hmm. Um, and they got to chisel the way back. I can absolutely see that, but I, I'll still we're on the dip, different sides. But I there's I can really see a scenario in which KU has to slug this one out or flat loses. All right, he's Adam Dravetta. I'm Derek Johnson. That's our game picks. That's our show today. We're out early. KU coverage starting here on KLWN. Everybody tell Derek station. to have a safe trip tonight. Yeah, 105.9 Kiss. I'm heading now. I'll be on the call of the KU volleyball game against Creighton in the second round of the NCAA tournament over on 929 The Bull, bull929.com at 7 o'clock. Have a good one and talk to you on Monday.